Welcome to TSG Talk. TSG Talk aims to contribute positively towards the care of an injured casualty or vulnerable patient. If your goal is to maximise your input for the people you care for, then TSG Talk is for you. Our podcast will interview colleagues who are at the cutting edge of their professions. Often they're involved in creating solutions for areas that historically have proven difficult or have a wealth of experience in a particular complex response. Each podcast will provide unique, engaging content. At TSG Associates, we will always strive to ensure our solutions are ahead of the curve and positively impact on the quest for prioritising survival and minimising suffering. We believe TSG Talk will complement our vision and provide a platform to enhance your response. It is my pleasure to now pass you across to our host, Senior Partner at TSG, Colin Smart. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of our podcast, TSG Talk, delivering care in the civilian tactical environment. Past incidents have shown that anybody involved in civilian pre-hospital care can be asked to respond to a tactical environment. Often, initial responders have limited experience in this area and do not come from a military background. Tonight, we will explore the unique, this unique area of care and learn from one of the true experts. With this in mind, let me introduce our guest tonight. Dr. Giulio Noravazzi has a vast experience in response to tactical events. He's delivered training worldwide and is an innovator in developing procedures to enhance response. I am privileged to have received his training and become a good friend of his. He is hugely engaging and motivating. I am sure that you will find this edition of huge value. So, Giulio, good evening. Um, hey, good evening, Colin. How are you? I am very good. And how are you? And good. Very nice to hear you after all this time. Absolutely. It's fantastic to connect. Um, and um, I'm really looking forward to this, uh, this uh, the next sort of 30 to 40 yeah, minutes. I think the last time I saw you was in 2019 at the Italian Navy SEALs base when we were it, doing floating training. It was. Life. It was doing all strange things in Italy and, and having a good time with it as well, which, <laughs> which is always good and fantastic. Yeah, okay. So it's absolutely wonderful to connect with you tonight. And uh, thanks so much for, uh, for giving your time. Julie, just, you. be, just before we go into the, the, the actual subject tonight, could you just give our listeners a little bit of background behind your your own experience, qualifications, and, and maybe a little bit more specifically about your, your tactical experience. Thank you, Colin. Well, I was uh, born and raised in Italy, <clears throat> and I, my, my, my degree is in medicine, of course, and I have a specialty in, uh, in general surgery. Uh, I was in Italy, and I was in the Carabinieri, and uh, I love it. But, you know, then my parents told me, hey, don't forget that you are a physician. So they pulled me out of the carabinieri that I love and they put me back uh, to remind me that I was a physician to work in the hospital. But that was not my really my fit. I could not stand still. I have a bad attention deficit disorder. <laughs> calling, so I have to move out. So I came to the United States and immediately I started to work with the Department of State here in the U.S. And... Uh, and then after that, I was able to join a different training cell. And with my happiness, I was able to almost train, I would really say, we were many times we discussed with friends who we did not train. But we train, as you know, your guys a lot. We train in the Italian, we train even Swiss Special Forces, paratroopers, Norwegians, 
uh, every single one, American, every single special forces group. And uh, I was with a U.S. Marshal Special Operation Group uh, with my chief, Mike Smith, but he was a very, very big advocate for medical training for all operators. And so I did very, very little time in a hospital, just a minimal <laughs> for me to get my degree and get out. I spent uh, five years in Ivory Coast, uh, always with tactical units. And, uh, and that was it. And still today, I'm, uh, I had a little bit of shift in my life because I had to, to take care of my daughters. I lost my wife two years ago, as you know. And uh, so I'm more on the training side. I'm still operational with a tactical SWAT unit to keep my credential and my badge and my gun, of course, but uh, I'm trying to slow down a little bit. So creating new devices, new medical devices and working as a clinical director for Sam Medical. Fantastic. Uh, it Too really, much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, me, me and you both. Um, no, it's, it's a wonderful set of experience and um, I, I know certainly some of the stories you'll be able to tell us tonight and the lessons you've learned will be, be hugely um, uh, useful for, for everybody listening in tonight. Uh, there, there really are some truly remarkable stories that, that we can tell. <laughs> so <How> funny. <laughs> uh, so so what, what we're going to explore tonight is um, if you are a civilian and uh, you are involved in a, a, a tactical event, we're, we're trying to, I suppose, try and highlight some of the the, the differences in those types of events, but how we can really help our colleagues, if should they be involved in them, with, with minimal experience to these types of events, how, how, how they can take some pointers away to, to improve their care. So do you find, are there any sort of specific issues that you see reoccurring in tactical events? Uh, I mean, every incident's got, it's usually a, a unique part to it, but is there anything you ever find that's a reoccurring problem yeah. you have to solve when you, when you come across them? You know, yeah, most of the time that I see major event, if you remember Nice of uh, Spain or Atocha in Europe, where they have uh, this terrorist attack that they involve tons of wounded and injured people, you always see that the, I call it the civilian uh, EMS as the habit to treat even a terrorist attack that is well clear it's a terrorist attack as a civilian normal multiple crowd event. And I think that's a, that's a big no-no for me. <laughs> as, as you know, and uh, lots of other people, brothers, uh, that share uh, our same adventures, uh, know that you cannot treat a terrorist attack as a civilian event and, and follow the guidelines of an EMS uh, sterile, sterile base on everyday trauma uh, would not produce any benefits to the to the situation, it will cause more casualty, and that means more work and more situation that it will be hard to get out of it because now you don't only have civilian uh, that they were in involved in the event, but now you also have medical providers that they were the ones supposed to take care of the wounded guy. So for me, it's very important to start to change and shift the mentality the multiple and mass casualty event it has to be treated in a special, a different situation than the normal everyday trauma uh, situation you can find. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. Is, is there anything, um, obviously we're talking about trying to shift the, the, the way we approach this, that you know, we take colleagues who predominantly treat and care for 
vulnerable people every day and we're now putting them into a, a high stressed event where there might be more casualties than they've got and, and there is significant danger as well. Is, is there any sort of tips you can give to, to those colleagues and, and how they shift that mentality and, and how they can flick from what they do probably 95% of their life to, to this, this unique circumstance? Because you're right, it's very different, isn't it? Very different. And remember, for 20, 50, 100 years almost, we went to civilian EMS and learned medicine from the civilian EMS. We thought that ATLS or of BTLS and all those guidelines were phenomenal for us to use in the battlefield. And we proved uh, since 1986 and, uh, and 1992, when we came up with a TCCC uh, committee and all the first uh, uh, operational emergency medicine skill course uh, that unfortunately all those good skills do not give you the best. So I think it's important now that People in the EMS, everyday EMS, uh, learn the protocol that we use for at least 20 years and approach the casualty in that situation. Care under fire, field care, prolonged field care. Uh, you always have to think about it. A situation, a situational awareness, you know, that we say safety first. Well, but what does it mean safety first? If you have one device that go off and then you send EMS in, and maybe there's a secondary device, a tertiary device, or maybe there are two guys that they are just waiting for the EMS provider to come in. And people know that now I mean, EMS provider will get in. So mm -hmm. you definitely have to change and start to train on maybe not specifically TCCC, maybe there's no specific application for it, but that's why we have the TECC version of it. But that's how you know people start to orient it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Could you just expand a bit? Um, although we we know T Triple C, the the Tactical uh, Casualty Combat Care Committee. Could you just expand a little bit on on our colleagues who might know might not know what yeah. that is? Just to explain yeah. what it is. And 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 you know what? It's funny. It's twenty years, Colin, that we use the T the T Triple C guidelines. But you still today you go in in, uh, in maybe do a presentation and you have always some uh, medical. Physicians, uh, physician assistant raising their hand and say, what are you talking about? They have no clue because they never were exposed to it. The tactical combat casualty care was, uh, it came out with the, when John Ackman and uh, Frank Buckler and his cousin uh, started to create this collection of, of information on why the people were dying on the battlefield. And they discovered the first cause of death and it never changed in 200 years, was not airway, but it was massive bleeding. That's when all the campaign, massive bleeding, stop the bleed campaign started. Because if you think about it, it's it, blood and full blood. It's probably one of the only thing that at the moment, not everybody can have available. So if we start to lose blood and we don't stop that to happening, well, there's not a lot of, you can do to bring your guys off of trouble. So that's, and the TCCC just simply decided to divide which kind of intervention to do at the right time. Again, for not increasing the numbers of casualty on the battlefield, do the right medicine at the right time and save more lives. And the algorithm that we always for, for, uh, follow is the march on. And that would be another long discussion on it. Is it still march on? Is it changing? Some people start to push it in a different way. Well, for 20 plus years, 
uh, I use the march on and it always save my butt in multiple, multiple, right. multiple situations. Fantastic. No, th 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 thanks for clarifying that. And I think I, the thing I find about the the, the TCCC guidelines, and I've been lucky enough to talk to Frank Buckler a few times. You know, one of the one of the the, the initial innovators of, of that area is that they're they're very heavily evidence based. You know, the, the, this is from yeah. as you say, twenty years of battlefield exposure now. So there's there's a lot of evidence behind them, and they're constantly being updated as new evidence comes in, which I think is a, a massive factor in, in why they're so effective, is that they don't become dated. Yeah, um, that's, that's the nice of it. It's not like, you know, why we do this? Oh, because we did it for 50 mm. years. No, things change, evolve, mm. materials, you know, the new medical devices come out and things change. That's the nice of it. It's not an, you know, old Stalin, not moving forward. It's always change through experience of people. That's mm. phenomenal. Yeah. And I think you've brought a really, really good point out there. Is the, the question is, why do we do this? Um, I remember when I was a, a young military medic, my mentor, when I was going through <laughs> a scenario and say, Colin, why did you do that? Well, I was taught to do that. No, why? <laughs> why did you do that? Uh, and, it's, and again, maybe that's part of the shift in mentality of Tell, asking people when they apply skills in the tactical environment, why did you do that? What, what's the logic behind what you're applying? Because the logic is we still want to maximize survivors and minimize suffering, but we have to justify why we're doing certain things within that environment to, to get that outcome, I think. It's a really good question. Why do we do that? Yeah. Well, yes. one I, yeah, one I was asked many times and didn't have many answers to many a time as well. So You have to have the knowledge that you read on paper but then you have to have the capability to, again, switch on and turn on and say, why am I doing this? Why? And we were just talking about, you know, the event of training that it's so indicative of, hey, switch on, right? Turn it on, time to change, move on. So Absolutely. So, so with that in mind, um, is there any stories you've got from your experience that you could specifically, yes. and I'm sure there's many, but is there any uh, that, that really stand out that, that, that you gained experience from and that you could pass on? Yes. Like we were talking about this. You have to, why you're doing that. And uh, I remember we were, we did a lot of light tissue and uh, I know it's a very sensitive argument, but if I have to choose, uh, I choose a soldier every day of my life. So to save a life of a soldier. So we're doing some light tissue and uh, we were in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we had a little dead casualty. And so we decided to create a trauma injury uh, so that we will see what people will react when they will see it. So with a 12 gauge, <laughs> I, I, you know, a guy of the team caused a trauma injury to the head with two shots of 12 gauge. So we had, a, uh, you know, the eyeball blow up out of the socket. And here came a super trained neurosurgeon that ran into the scenario with boom, bang, smoke. And the first thing he did, get out on his knee and start packing the skull. And he was packing, packing super actively. And uh, I remember going behind him, put my hand on his shoulder, very calm, asking me, hey, so what are you doing? And he told me, I'm packing, I'm packing, very active, I'm packing, pack. I said, good, well, I mean, you can pack it. And then he looked me and a light bulb event happened. And uh, he said, oh, and he started, he ran away to the next casualty. So that is my, my, my point, right? Think, 
thing, what are you doing? And save your resources for the guy that may need it. You pack uh, two giant holes in somebody's coal that has no life, no sign of life, and wasted all your resources. That would be a really <laughs> shame. So think. Use, your, use all your protocol. Use all your guidelines. But don't forget to think. That's always my, that's always my suggestion. People yeah. at time get blocked, stuck in a in protocol. Yeah. Now that, that's interesting and, and I'm, I'm sure we, we, we've all been there where you, you get very zoned in to what you're doing, don't you? Um, where you've got this wide scene developing around you and we, we often know with the tactical environment that could be a very mobile scene but often when you're engaged in your patient, the only thing that's happening is you and that patient and I suppose it's trying to keep your, your sort of your cone of awareness quite wide at times to, to articulate the, the wider environment as opposed to the pure focus that you're having on the patient and what yeah. you're inputting into that patient. And I'm not saying that's easy, but you, I suppose I see that happen quite a lot and I can relate to myself it's done that as well. That You can be so zoned in, you, you lose the wider scope of, of everything you're trying to, you know, the wider scope of the maximum benefit to the incident as opposed to the job that you're doing, isn't it? Um, yes. It, it is interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, and it happened. I remember... And you were in, in gunfight as well. I remember being in a gunfight. And, you know, when, when you have the whistling, you know, factor, when you start to hear the zing, zing coming all over, the first thing you want to do is look over, right? Mm -hmm. And then you get a senior surgeon major standing up and drinking his coffee or tea and look at you like, what are you doing? And he's telling you, oh, don't worry about it. They're not good shooters. Say, mm -hmm. <laughs> <So>, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. And and, and asking maybe yeah. that, that's that's the mindset and maybe that's the training and <laughs> experience will come into that to an extent as well. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's how, how we take people with minimum exposure to that, but make them effective. I think that's that's the equation we're trying to fix, isn't it? Um, it is, it, and, and not, I'm not, not definitely not an easy one. Um, I mean, moving on from that, with, with that in mind, if you're then taking the civilian provider um, into the tactical environment, what would be the critical skills that you think they need to take in with them? Is there anything specific you think that they, if, if they, you know, we've all got limited time to to upskill in specific areas we don't use all the time. But what, what would be the, the couple of, maybe two or three skills that you think they would have to take in with them to, to, to be know, of maximum use? Before I was a, you know, grow up, as I said, in a civilian environment, as you did, and we learned all that, and we were carrying humongous mad bag <laughs> with oxygen in it when people were shooting. Uh, you know, it's very important to, again, to change in a different direction. Lately, I was uh, listening uh, uh, to a speech that was provided by the uh, Surgeon General for Israel and is uh, involved, of course, with the military forces. He's one of the guy in charge uh, of the protocol for their commandos. And uh, his the title of his presentation was Do Less, Save More Life. Mm, and and <laughs> I was like, oh, that's not going to go down well. And in fact, some physicians were very upset about, but his logic was so phenomenal that it is really by me on that direction. You know, we always say scoop and run. I mean, if I can, 
why not? Why do I have to be obsessed to start to do some medical maneuvers that it take time to do it when I can just scoop up the guy and go to a place where somebody can do way better than what I can. I mean, I, I, at time I call it the Ricky Rescue Syndrome. It's mine, it's mine, I saw him first. <laughs> I gotta do, surgi- do surgical airway yeah, yeah. because I know how mm-hmm. to do it. And I think that's, that's, you know, he was talking about intubation and we always said that. You're in a very small tactical team and you have to intubate a guy that's you're done. I mean, your 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 tactical advantage is gone because now you have not only one man down that is injured, you have another man down because you have to take care of that guy until you ask feel because there's nothing else you can do. You have to vent it, you have to keep it sedated and all that. So why do we always run and then we want to intubate? I mean, if I can maintain his airway and the vast amount of knowledge and just move it as fast as I can off target. Always, of course, following the, is it safe? Can I get in? Can I grab it? And follow massive bleeding airway. I mean, if we can't just do M&A, that there are no even medical maneuver, uh, I think we can do a humongous uh, difference in any, any situation, tactical, non-tactical, mass casualty, uh, motor vehicle accident. If you look at motor vehicle accident, high speed is nothing different from an IED going off frag uh, uh, amputations and that kind of injury so there's no more different and and we should really start to understand when to stay and play and when to scoop and run but his presentation uh, really opened my eyes do less save more life do what you know as fast as you can massive bleeding airway and if you can get out of dodge yeah fascinating it's um again it's evolving i mean you know how many how many how many years we were getting two IV open going with fluids, saline solution. Saline solution was good for, it's good for pasta, you know, my Italian background. Uh, but we were doing it. And when we were asking why we're doing it, uh, well, I don't know. We do it for so long. Yeah, and, Your and- blood pressure drop, your blood pressure drop when I cut with my scalpel. And what, what my colleague does, he raises blood pressure. <laughs> so he bleeds faster. So... I mean, all things evolving. And for me, this, just a presentation, imagine that in front of mm-hmm. hundreds of people, uh, all tactical special operation guys do less, save more life. It was yeah. a shock. Yeah, and, and I think what I'm picking out from that is that you, you have to justify what you're doing. Um, it, it, there's no point doing it just because you can do it. Um, yeah. and, and I think you're right. I remember the early days of my you know, very, very early days of paramedic training. It was all about, you know, massive cannulas and throwing in lots of fluid. <laughs> and I remember yeah. saying, well, why are we doing this? But because you, you do it. But I, I think when you're moving into the tactical environment, you need, I, I suppose you have to ask yourself certain questions like your equipment. Why am I taking this in? What, what's my justification? What's my output from this? And if you're going to do a procedure, what's your justification to... Because yeah. will it actually work towards maximum survival and, and minimize suffering? Or are we doing it because we've always done it? Uh, and yeah. it's, it's trying to work that out, isn't it? But I think, you know, as we move into these very fluid, dangerous scenarios, why are we doing it? Yeah. Um, and and or why are you carrying it? Um, yeah, it? Yeah, it's really interesting. But I do like that title, Do Less, Save More Lives. But then taking that and equating it to what you would probably do if you find yourself in a tactical environment and how you would equate that to 
actually application on the ground. Yeah, but you know, as I said, think about it. it at first, I thought it was offensive, but in reality, if you think about it, it really makes sense. And how do I will use the do less? I will definitely try to see if if you are <clears throat> deployed somewhere where there is no medical assistance or any kind of a, you know advanced uh, surgical team. Well, at that point, there is no do less. At the point is do everything because you have you are the only one providers and everybody rely on you. So there is it's hard to applicate that. But we were talking about event in an urban environment. Uh, so very close to different trauma station, uh, hospital, they can definitely do more. We don't have, you can carry your med bag, the most sexy <laughs> outfitted tactical med bag. You still have limited resources. But if you think about it, uh, hospital has totally unlimited resources. You need an orthopedic guy that work at the same time when a civilian is working, uh, another a cardiologist is working or a surgeon is working. They can all work together at the same time. In the middle of, uh, I don't know, Farah, when we were in Afghanistan, uh, dude, you're the only one. You got to do everything. It's like the old yeah. school. But see, those are the old school. Even, if, for example, who still use those old nurses' uh, uh, skills, like cleaning wounds, debris mounds? The one that, you know, we learned it from Vietnam War where everybody was mandatory to go back and learn how to do a debris and don't do uh, first closure. But, you know, to clean a wound, repacking, uh, change the pressure dressing. I mean, to do all that prolonged field care that now people start to re-pull it back because our war scenario, if we go in different areas, mm -hmm. will be more, hey, you're on your own, try to survive <laughs> mm -hmm. because we cannot as fill you. So... Again, uh, do less and save more life. It's good if you apply in an urban warfare scenario. And I will see that in a different tactical scenario where you are in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. uh, I think where you are the only provider, it would be not do less. Mm -hmm. Do everything you know to keep mm -hmm. this guy alive. Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right. And I think that what that brings out is that you've got to assess the situation you're going into and then justify what you're going to try and achieve, isn't it? because um, situations will change. So if you're going to be the predominantly urban environment with a trauma system behind you, it, it will be very different to remote locations with, with minimum yeah. trauma care. You know, their experience, their experience is really, it's always local. I mean, it, you know, whatever they, they fight around uh, their city, it's pretty close to major trauma centers. And mm -hmm. let's say they have a lot of experience. <laughs> a lot yeah. of experience. Yeah. You get a rocket and bomb it every day, you yeah. learn a lot. Yeah. No, it's it's fascinating stuff. I mean, the other thing I think you have to understand when we're, we're looking at equipment selection and procedures we, we could do in a tactical environment is just basically lack of fine motor skills. You'll probably be wearing gloves, you know, quite thick gloves for protection, but you'll probably be having a, a bit of a, a few shaky hands. I, well, I'm happy to make my hands shake. So, um, yeah. Um, I remember once I was I was teaching out, I think it was in Tennessee, I was doing a multiple casualty training course. And um, one of the students actually had been a, a casualty in an incident, but I'd also responded to incidents as, as a military medic. And his biggest thing was, you've got to do everything with shaking hands. And if you can't <laughs> do it with a shaking hand, you can't do it. Because he yeah. said, you will, you will, in these environments, if you're not used to going into them, you will lose fine motor skills. 
Um, and I think that's, it sounds very simple, but if you can't do it with handshaking, you shouldn't be doing it, I suppose, isn't it? I think that's what yeah, we're Yeah, and your handshake, and your handshake. I mean, there's nothing to do. You know, we have a kind of similar experience. There were young uh, physician just get out of Bethesda Medical School, and uh, we were with the Navy Special Warfare doing some training, and uh, we they want they were at all costs selling that you can do uh, get an IV line going on the back of a rib when you do an S feel at thirty five knots. I said, well, easy to test that. We put <laughs> yeah. we put them on the rib. And the mm. only thing that did not stick was the rubber of the rib because they were sticking it themselves like there's not tomorrow. Mm. And at the end, I like, saw so you did it. I think you're right. Yeah, there's yeah. no way you're going to get an IV going. The only way will be an IO. And if you're lucky between one wave and another. <laughs> yeah. But, but there is no IV. Your handshake. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the things I, I've always got from going into the, the highest stress environments where you don't do it that often. And I think very few people do it incredibly often is that you, you know, you've definitely got a release of adrenaline going on and that will affect your ability to perform, uh, you know, fine motor skill tasks. And if that's the case, you have to say, well, is there a point of taking those tasks in with me, bearing in mind I might not have the capability to, to actually do them? What can I do if I'm losing fine motor skills? Um, which is an interesting one to think about as well. Uh, again, it's just a different dynamic to throw in and a different thing to think about as you're preparing yourself, I suppose. Yes, I think it's a, a very strong point. Absolutely. You know, I saw a strong, strong guy and super trained and super battle proven that the first couple of minutes are shaking too. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Because the great... Easy. Yeah, we, we, we definitely, we put human beings into these environments, not robots, and they all, re, re, yeah. you know, everybody reacts slightly different, don't they? And I think it's worth, yeah. worth, worth remembering. But we're just on that, and uh, this is always, I think, it's a very good question for, for, all, for the, all of our guests on TSG Talk, is um, if you were to select just one piece of medical equipment that you would always take with you on, on a, uh, if you were to respond to the tactical environment, what, what, what would that one piece of equipment be? I'll always bring a tourniquet. Right, I know, I know, I know we can improvise. I, I know. But if I have a good piece of equipment and I have multiple casualties, I can stick the first tourniquet on one guy and go to the other one. So you gave me to do two casualties once. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just uh, just because I really follow the massive bleeding mm -hmm. first. Yeah. I really want to stop that bleeders. Yeah. No, that that, and the, the nice thing about your answer there was you, you you replied to what it was, and then you said this is why I do it. So there's, yeah. there's just this justification behind it. That that would be a really interesting <laughs> question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which kind of equipment would you bring with you? My Glock seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> we, we we don't get to do that in the UK. So, I know. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> we have now firefighters training that come with our uh, tactical unit uh, to do bomb disposal. I mean, full uh, EOD approved. That's that's yeah, and EMS and uh, wow. firefighters. Wow, you know that's uh, something new. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about the medical equipment one. That would be a really interesting question. What would you bring? Yeah, what, what would, would you bring it, with you? It, what would I? You know, I'd, you caught me out because I haven't thought it through. <laughs> um, it's not easy. There's a good there's a good pregnant pause there, but. 
I yeah. think I would want something that I could maybe give me some invasive ability. Because you I th- will have you will have a pocket knife if you need to open somebody. Yeah, somebody's yeah. <laughs> you can open. Yeah, I, but I haven't. To be honest, I haven't thought it through enough because I suppose I've not been on hands on for a long time. Uh, plus, it depends on you know what you're thinking to expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. Necessary one. My girls are twelve mm-hmm. years old. They're twins, and I know maybe it's paranoid, but they're bringing tourniquet in their backpack to go to school. I know this is America. Mm-hmm. We have a little bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they have a little bit of experience right. on that, but they yeah. carry their mm. tourniquet. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. School in the back. Yeah. yeah. No, I think there's good justification there. It would be an interesting one for our, our listeners. Um, if, if you know, if, if you go to a LinkedIn yeah. page and, and it would just be nice just, to have a statistic. Yeah, just what... ask that question. If if you were to go into a tactical environment, what would be the one piece of medical equipment you would always take with you? We'd be we'd be absolutely fascinated. To, uh, to hear other people's response on that one um, yeah. and justification of why you take it. I think it's a good question. Um, yeah, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong, I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong answer, but I think, you know, it could be something be really interested to get people, get people's thoughts on that one. That would be super interesting to see really statistically what people will bring with them into mm-hmm. a fight. Yeah, yeah. You know, what would be the one thing you would always take? So you, you don't get the choice. Give me one. Yeah, think, yeah. think about it. You, we have always our tourniquet handy on the play carriers, mm-hmm. so that would be another justification. You always have that handy, so mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm curious, that's a good well, question. It's a good question, isn't it? It, it <laughs> certainly uh, gets me thinking. Um, and again, I suppose if you look at yeah, I mean, I always love working in sort of remote expedition work, and that's a question I need to ask myself more often what's the one piece of equipment I would take as an expedition medic? And, and and there's another that's another whole chain of thought because you've got your primary care to think about as well as your trauma. It's yeah. it's 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 fascinating to go through that thought process and justify why you would always take that one thing with you. Also, uh, you have to think about environment. You know, in which mm-hmm. environment are we talking about? Uh, are we talking about in a urban environment? We're we talking about a mountains and cold mm. oh, that would be we change <laughs> mm. yeah fascinating good question and uh, i think that's something we'll uh we'll uh we'll probably host as a linkedin um uh, yeah as, and as then you should do a statistic and and make it public because it would yeah. be very interesting to, it, it would be, to it hear. Would be. yeah yeah, I think that's that's definitely one that we will we'll get sorted very, out. Very, very nice. Yes. Yeah. So, so just to really to uh, conclude our conversation, I mean, we could talk all night. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. but better not. Um, if you were to just to pick out three points for 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 colleagues, you know, not not non experts, you know, civilian colleagues um, who may be having to respond to a, a, a tactical event, what would be the three key points that you would you would say to them to take away that they could then say okay i've got that that's three points that i need to think about is there three things you could you would say are be the most important to to assist their preparation well safety first at the end of the night you have to go back home to your children and to your family so i always say you know in the tactical situation you always want to find a way to to go back home at the end of the shift so i think definitely safety first and then uh, awareness, of course, of the situation, uh, what's going on around you, and then uh, always be prepared and have your know your kit to the bone. And that means 
just don't bring tons of stuff that you don't know well, you never use. Open a, an envelope, a redistraction when you're working on somebody, I don't think is the right things to do. Hmm. And uh, know your limits too. You know, it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of know your limits. And if you need help, ask somebody to know more than you and they will help you. Uh, drop your ego and just uh, bring the guy home. That's always the goal. I think that that makes so much sense, doesn't it? Um, so just just to uh, recap them, um, safety, um, safety, which is I think for everybody is huge. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the second point, awareness. Just being able to, to to keep a wide cone of awareness when you go into these events because it, they're often very fluid, aren't they? So you might be zoned into one one of your tasks, yeah. but you've you've got to try and keep that wider cone to see what's going on to the left, or right, behind, in front of you, because it yeah. cert- certainly could be changing. Um, looking at the London Bridge terrorist attack in the UK, it was an incredibly fluid event that kept changing, yes. um, and people yeah. had to react all the time. You know, I, I see lots of people, for example, in even in tactical situation, and we always teach we, we don't do. CPR on the battlefield, but in a civilian environment, you do CPR. I don't like when people keep their head down. I always keep my head up and I scan around because mm. you never know what's coming at you. Yeah, or have somebody behind you keeping the head up for you, which, which is yeah. some, some, something to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Um, really interesting one, what you said about preparation is know your kit, because um, one of the interesting things, uh, I was talking to a colleague who responded to the, the G4S compound that got bombed by the Taliban a few years ago. And oh, yeah. he, he had absolutely no light. He was oh. working in complete darkness. It, the grid was off. The generators had, had been blowing and he had a little pocket light and he carries it everywhere 24 hours a day with him now because he, oh, he, 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 you know, he had no light. Um, so knowing your kit in the daylight is one thing. Knowing your kit in the dark is another thing, isn't it? Yeah. And except a tactical environment will possibly be in complete darkness or semi-darkness. So you need to know your equipment in the dark, I think, is and it's the next level to that, isn't it? But Yeah, let me tell you, you know, just a little example how paranoid I am. Uh, when I play with new medical devices that I never had it before, and I know this is crazy, but I wear my nods, my night vision, and I go in a dark room, most of the time a bathroom, because <laughs> I have no windows and I look if they are for example flat or they are glossy because if they are glossy you have so much reflection and with your night vision you cannot really use it because they reflect so much when you have an illuminator that is very hard to use and when I talk about it with other colleagues I said whoa whoa what is oh I never did I never thought about it I mean I think lots of those medical devices should be not glossy because if you operate it with nuts mm-hmm. you have so much reflection it's very hard to to use it mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean but yeah i think that the preparation of the equipment is it's so important but it's, it's it's a preparation for the environment you were working isn't it so what's the dexterity of it within your if you've lost yeah. your fine motor skills can you operate when there is no visual on that equipment yeah. Um, that that's the level of preparation I think you have to take because that's the environment you'll be going into, isn't it? And you need yeah. to set your equipment out to to, to reflect that. V- very yeah. important. Yeah. 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 Train low light condition, mm. like your yeah. boys were doing with absolutely no light, and mm. uh, disassemble and reassemble a, a weapon. I mean, yeah, exactly. You know, can you can you do it in yeah. the dark? If you can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
you probably won't be able to do it because you will probably be working in the dark yeah. or certainly bad light. Um, yeah. So that, I think that's hugely important. I like know your limits. And, and you know, it's... I think that's so important. And uh, because we're humans, aren't we? We're not, we're not Superman. Um, and you're going into somewhere. I've always remember that what was the, the, the definition of people being involved in trauma was normal people being involved in abnormal events, <laughs> uh, which I th is a, think is an excellent. Excellent. We, yeah. we really are just, I think, putting normal people into something that's very abnormal to them. And I think understanding limitations so is, yeah. is a very good point to bring out. And, and maybe just think through that but as you prepare yourself to a potential to go into that sort of event. What, what, what do you think, I, what's reasonable for me to do? You, you don't have to solve the whole problem, but what would be a reasonable expectation of what I could do in that environment? I think that's a very good thing to think about. Um, and yeah. now you've mentioned I, it. Yeah. You know, think about it. I mean, surgical airway. I mean, it's surgical airway you will ever do in your life. I mean, I remember in, in when we were looking at the U.S. Army statistic uh, in Baghdad in like 11 years, they did like 10 of them. Uh, but if you need to know how to do it, the right way to learn is not when you have a guy that need an airway. You are like for three hours just touching it, you know, it's Adam Apple and say, is he here? Is he not here? Is he here? Is he not here? So the mm -hmm. basic maneuver to lifesaver you should know mm -hmm. without thinking about it. Yeah, no, I think that's a fantastic point. And ask for help. What, what a great piece of advice. Um, again, you're a human. There's, there's going to be asking, you're going to be in an extraordinary type of event compared to your normal life. Um, asking yeah. for help isn't a bad thing, is it? In fact, it's a rather good thing. Mm -mm. Yeah. yeah. Hey, can you do pressure here when I'm doing something else? You grab a, a civilian, put it with their hands on and mm -hmm. say, hey, do pressure here and when I'm doing something else. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and again, if you can do it, ask somebody else to help you to do it. Yeah, no, th th those are, we, we asked for three points and you gave us five, so we'll, we'll let you Sorry. <laughs> That's the Italian thing, I can't stop talking. <laughs> if it was a Scottish thing, I'd only give you two, because we're a bit stingy. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. No, absolutely fantastic. Like, Julia, it's... Um, it's always a pleasure. We we certainly could talk all night. Soon. Absolutely. Yeah, same for me. Um, I'll I'll just quickly tidy up the the end of the podcast just with how people can get in touch with us and things. But Julia, thank you so much for your time. Um, we'll have this posted on all the all the, the normal channels, uh, so people can 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 listen in. And if you have got any questions, probably LinkedIn is the best place, or go to the website www.tsgassociates.co.uk so once again julio thank you for your time uh, please you, contact Don. please contact us if you've got any questions or you'd like to continue the conversation and um, we will put the post up about what would be the one piece of equipment yeah, you'd like i'm counting on it because that will be in uh, when i teach because that's very important <laughs> yeah and um we'll, we'll look forward to uh, presenting another tsg talk very soon with another hopefully stimulating and, and motivating subjects. So, so thank you, everybody. And once again, thank you, Julia. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this edition of TSG Talk. We hope you found the content of benefit. Should you have any questions or require additional information, please visit tsgassociates.co.uk.